Wow, the guest preacher in the first service is really long-winded. I don't know what happened to that guy over there. So I'm just walking in here this morning, catching the end of you guys, praising the Lord and worshiping Him. Um, Awesome job. Could hear you out in the hallway as I'm running down the hallway. Um, And uh, so we're we're glad you're here. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for this morning. Um, Thank you for some conversations in between services and... um, God, how you are working and moving and bringing folks to this place that I believe are hungry and thirsty for you, uh, for your word, for your truth, for their homes, for their lives, and and for their daily living. So God, just thank you for your word. Thank you for this uh, passage of scripture that we uh, have been and are going to continue to examine today, uh, these words from the hill that Jesus spoke. And we are uh, so excited, God, about what you're going to do in and through, um, through your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want you to practice saying something with me, all right? I'm going to give you a phrase, you repeat after me, just making sure you guys are good and awake, all right? Eyes up, ears on, heart open. Eyes up, ears on, hearts open. You cannot live Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 through 12 without those. You, you cannot, as we transition this morning a little bit as we saw last week, as we jumped into this Sermon on the Mount, into these words from the hill, Jesus is preaching and he is giving to the people a guide, set of guidelines for them to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And last week we saw a few things that we're going to take a look at in just a moment. But one of the things I want to make sure that we do <clears throat> as we walk through this is we make sure that we're examining this from the right mindset, meaning this set of beatitudes, if that's how you've learned and grown up calling them, this set of characteristics of a follower of Jesus is not a checklist to earn you a relationship to Jesus. This is a set of guidelines, as we saw the very first week, an outline, a framework to live the faith that you have through Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that we we grasp that and know that, that we are not accepted by God because of anything that we can do. None of us in this room are accepted by God by anything that we can do. We are accepted by God completely and totally because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection. And as that defines who we are, we gain characteristics as followers of Jesus. Are we clear? Are we good? Are you awake? All right, it's summer, all right, it's a little warm outside, kind of makes us a little cozy so you guys don't get too comfortable. I want to share a couple things with you that I think will get you uh, pretty excited. We've got a team in Brazil right now um, as a church, a group of some of our high school seniors and college, a couple college students and some of our student workers and our student pastors there in Brazil and they've been sharing Jesus, going to VBS, sharing with uh, their age students sharing the gospel with them, and this week they've had the, the, just a beautiful blessing to see nine students and or children give their lives to Jesus Christ on that trip. And so that's an awesome thing. And they're sharing their testimony with students their age, 
Um, apparently, it's a tradition in Brazil with this missions organization that they're working with. When somebody comes to Christ, somebody jumps in the pool as a sign of like, hey, man, we did this. And so they got back the other night, and they all jumped in the pool. Doesn't sound like a big deal, but remember, we are in the northern hemisphere. They are in the southern, which means it is winter, all right? And uh, so they made the leap and, uh, and jumped in. But we also, this morning, I don't want you to forget, right now as we're worshiping, in about 13 minutes, um, our church plant, Cornerstone Community Church in Lexington, they're going to start their worship service this morning. And they're starting their service this morning with a baptism of a gentleman from their community, an African-American gentleman in the middle of lung cancer, in the middle of all the things going on, has given his life to Jesus Christ. And uh, so <clears throat> in a couple of weeks, I want to share with you the video that they've made about this morning. And, and one of the things that their pastor sent me on Friday, and it was much needed, uh, Emily and I went out for a quick date, and we were sitting somewhere, and he said, I just want you to know without Rich Fort that this man would not have heard the gospel. I want you to make that connection through us sending people into a community that we do not reach, a gentleman has heard the gospel and has trusted in Jesus Christ. So you're there with them this morning, all right? Um, we're celebrating with them. We also have some of the arts coming. We've got VBS. We've got a packathon coming again, for a way for you to serve. We'll speak more about that as we get closer to it. Um, but we've got some work to do this morning. We've got some scripture um, to work through. I want to remind you where we were last Sunday, Matthew chapter verse 1 through 6. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and so here Jesus has this group of people, a myriad of folks from different regions, different backgrounds, different purposes of being there, different theologies, different religious perspectives, and they're there. Jesus does have his disciples that he's called, and here he's going to speak to them. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Poor in spirit, broken and humbled when we realize our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. Poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, wounded and weary, Maybe our view of that, how we can care for others, absolutely, but also us mourning that we are dead in our sins, but we can rejoice in who Jesus Christ is. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who are searching for spiritual and have a spiritual hunger. You will be satisfied. So today we're going to see how Jesus begins to give them some directives some attributes, some character qualities, however you want to term it, for them to begin to live in the communities in which they are placed. So I don't want you to, to miss this, that Jesus is speaking about their character before their conduct. He is speaking to their relationship before their responsibility. So all this is building on their relationship with Jesus, through Jesus, and their character is coming out, and they're living out their faith that has started inside. This is the inside moving outside. So let's turn to these for today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
So what I want to see in these three this morning, I want us to walk through this morning, is the need for us to view those through what we started with. All right? Eyes up, ears on, heart open. Let's try one more time. It'll be easier because it's on the screen probably. All right? Eyes up, ears on, heart open. How many of you have ever ridden in a subway anywhere, but particularly in New York City? Anybody ridden in a subway in New York City? Awesome. A lot of you had that great, comforting, easy experience, right? I want to show you, if you have it, I want to I show you the pose that you, you need if you are a normal subway traveler in New York City. Here it is. Now you see me moving a little bit? That's me trying to emulate the movement of the subway, right? It's just like this. Now let me tell you what's going on here, okay, without what I open my eyes. Earbuds are in. It's a necessity in 2018. You've got to have your earphones in. You've got to have your hands wrapped around your belonging, all right? You're just kind of rocking. You're moving. Never open your eyes. Never look. And then magically, after 14,000 people have gotten on and off your subway, and you've gone through 14 stops, and I have no idea where I'm at, and they're sitting there just confidently, and their stop happens. And you know what they do? They jump up, and they go right out the door. And they just disappear into thousands and thousands of other people. And, and so the more I go to New York, the more I'm figuring out, they're not listening to anything. They might be listening to a little bit of something, but they're not listening to enough to block out the call that lets them know what the next stop is. They magically know. And here's what I know is happening, because I've talked to some of them, because I know some of them, all right? They're on the subway. They're coming home from work. They're tired. They're weary. They've got their stuff, and they're saying, don't talk to me. Leave me alone. Eyes down. Ears off. Hearts closed. This is the culture, not just in New York City. This is the culture we live in. This is the culture, by and large, that we live. You may not have emulated that in the subway, but you've done it maybe with a grocery cart, right? Uh, I mean, I love seeing you guys, but there's times when i got to get groceries. There's times when i got to be somewhere, right? And I put my hat on, sunglasses on, and I'm going through the grocery store, right? All right, eyes down, all right, ears off, heart closed, all right. I just want to get what I get, go where I need to get, and get there. But you can't live out the Sermon on the Mount with your eyes closed, your ears off, and your heart closed. We can't. And if there's ever a need for a, a retooling of us as followers of Jesus, it is now to begin to say, I need to begin to live my life with my eyes up, looking around, with my ears on, listening for possible conversations, for hints about what's going on in someone's life, for hints to leave someone alone as well, but for also for our hearts to be open by what's taking place around Because blessed are the merciful, for they receive mercy. You can't be merciful without exhibiting that to someone else. Merciful cannot happen with you in a bubble, right? Mercy cannot be practiced with one person standing and alone, living life and never living that outside. Merciful happens outside. Merciful happens in the lives, in the messiness and the difficulties of this world. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, I grew up in my childhood uh, in the early 80s. Uh, some of you can figure out the math. Let me just do it, make it easy for you. I'm 46, okay? In 1984, a movie came out that left all of us young men wanting to learn one thing, and it was called the crane kick, all right? It was this movement. It's the karate kid, the original with Ralph Macchio. What a stud, all right? And he was the original karate kid. If you ever seen it, you know the humor in that. And I remember watching this movie, and the karate kid and his sensei, Mr. Miyagi, they walk into the opposition's dojo, all right? I know all these languages, all right? I'm so cool. And, I, and, he, and he walks into this karate place, and the first thing they hear this opposing karate teach is this. Mercy is for the weak. And I I remember growing up as a teenager, in my mind, I did not hear the words from the hill speaking, blessed are the merciful. I heard, mercy's for the weak, over and over, 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 and over in my head. Newsflash, Jesus spoke this first and with authority. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Fortunate are those who are merciful. Merciful embraces the characteristics of being generous, forgiving others, having compassion for the suffering, and providing healing of every kind. Merciful. The reality is mercy is shown by those who've experienced mercy. Hear me. We model mercy because we've we've experienced mercy. If you've come into, through trusting and surrendering your life to the Lord and Savior, through the relationship with Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, confessing your sins, then you have received mercy. Now you are a dispenser of mercy. I've used this illustration often. What Jesus is outlining here is not optional equipment for your life as a believer. I'll never forget, Emily and I were shopping for our very first car, um, one of the only times we bought a new car, and it was a Nissan Sentra, and it was in Louisville, Kentucky, and the guy asked me, he said, do you want a CD player? And I said, how much is it? And he goes, $200. And I'm thinking, this was a big deal, but then I realized, I'm going to pay for that CD player over five years at about $250 a month. Yeah, I want a CD player. Put that thing in here, right? That's not optional equipment for me. This is not optional here. If you've experienced mercy, you are now a dispenser of mercy. Jesus modeled this for you. Jesus does not simply speak about the words from the hill. He lives the words on the hill. When Jesus, in John chapter 8, when a woman who had been caught in adultery, when they dragged her out, Scripture says they put her, through her, in front of Jesus. He looked at the woman, he talked with her, and after he confronted the accusers, he forgave. He didn't leave the sin alone. He said, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Mercy. That's why we see, as we saw last week, Jesus mourned with those who were broken. It's mercy. And we can't practice mercy with our eyes down, with our ears off, with our hearts closed off to the needs of others. And I live in this world too. 
and I have a schedule, and I have things, and I have my own burdens, my own struggles, my own things that I'm walking through. But mercy is when we are present in the middle of pain. Mercy is willingly opening our hearts to be forgiven. It is compassion. Mercy is one attribute that we've got to exemplify with our eyes up, our ears turned on, and our hearts open. Listening, watching for the needs of others. We dispense mercy because we can never forget the mercy shown to us. I love, I was reading John MacArthur's thoughts on this passage of scripture, and he said, The people in my kingdom aren't takers, they're givers. The people in this passage, they're not simply taking, they're giving. They're dispensing mercy as they go through their lives. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart is a devotion to God that is directly related to our relationship to God, not separated from it. This idea here is that there's a single focus. Jesus is reaching out, he's preaching to all these folks who are just kind of tuning in to what he's talking about. And he says, blessed are those who are pure in heart, who are zoomed in on pursuing me. Who are not ashamed, who are not afraid, who will continue to pursue me. They're pure in heart. You can answer this out loud. When at one point Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, the disciples were rebuked because they were keeping who from coming to Jesus? The children. And I, I think a lot of it was justified. One, the religious system of the day. He's a rabbi. They're children. You, you, you don't approach the rabbi. But then also, man, let's get practical. Kids say things you're not supposed to say in public. They ask questions that aren't supposed to be asked out loud. Because here's how it works. Kid hears something, kid wants the answer, kid asks the question. It, there's no filter, right? They haven't learned the art of filtering something. I've been a parent now for almost 21 years. I have had numerous occasions where I have reached across a room in a hurry to grab my child by the mouth and... Because you know it's about to come out. You're, you're thinking it, and you realize they just thought it, and they're going to say it. And you're like, no, that cannot come out in public. But here's the deal. Jesus said, let the little children come. Why? Because they're pure in heart. And they just say it. They just express it. So awesome at the end of one of the reasons I was jumping in here at the last minute. You guys are in here seeing grace greater than our sin. One of our 11-year-old young ladies just came after the service was over by herself with her mom. She said, I, I couldn't come in front of all these people. I was so nervous. She said, I just, I got to let you know I gave my life to Jesus. It was just pure and simple. She didn't hem-haw around. She didn't give me an explanation. She said, I, I gave my life to Jesus. Blessed are the pure in heart where they focus, where their hearts are set towards one thing, and that is glorifying the Lord. This is what he's asking. Now, when I read this, I just got to say this. When I read, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Part of me, there are moments where I go, I think I'm going to miss out. Because <laughs> I'm not pure in heart all the time. Are you? 
If you are, let me know. We'll start a support group, all right, for the other one person that might be in there with you, all right? Blessed are the pure in heart. But here's what I know Scripture teaches us, and by God's grace, it is included for us. That there's a whole lot of other people in Scripture that felt the same as you and I. When we hear pure in heart, we go, man, I'm, I've got my days where I'm just not pure in heart, where I'm not focused on the things of the Lord where I'm distracted, where I fall to temptation, where I fall to sin. Can I just remind you God's a forgiving God? Can I remind you the heart and the words of King David in the Old Testament when he said, create in me a clean heart, God. Renew a right spirit within me. This is him acknowledging he desires a pure heart, but the only way for him to have a pure heart was through the power of God transforming his heart was through God forgiving him of his sins, not him on his own. What we're reading, each of these, let me lay this on you. I think it's later on in the message in my notes. All of these beatitudes and characteristics are impossible to be lived out outside a relationship to Jesus. It's not who you are by your flesh nature. This is through Jesus Christ. First John we read, Another convicting but also revealing and comforting verse that says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Read verse 9 with me. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Read that again with me. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. You say, Pastor, I'm not pure in heart. Some days I kind of get it, and some days I'm fully devoted, and there's a lot of days, temptation and sin. Can I just say to you, if you will confess your sins, he'll be faithful to forgive you. Not only forgive you, but to cleanse you from that unrighteousness, from that against him living. And place you through forgiveness in a growing relationship with him. Pure in heart recognizes the need for forgiveness and humility enough to seek it. And grace enough to offer it. See there, it's, it's the willingness and the humility to know I need it. But it's the grace to then offer it to others. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers. A desire to make things whole. Nothing is missing. Peace. Completeness. Working towards that ends to bring peace. As we think about peacemakers, I'm often taught and often turned towards the book of James. Where I think some of the biggest attributes of what does it take to be a peacemaker. What does it make to be someone who desires to bring wholeness and healing to situations. How how do I do that? Pastor, how do I do that? I think James gives us a great reminder. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. 
one of the first tests of being a peacemaker is knowing when to listen and knowing when to speak. When someone is in a conversation and in the middle of the conversation you can sense and you can feel that the conversation is going in a negative way and, and your flesh just wants to jump right in, right? And you want to participate in that conversation. It's listening, being slow to speak. Whatever our bent is, one of the, I read this and memorized it years ago. When thinking about being a peacemaker, I read this and kind of stored it away. Is will what I'm about to say or do advance the name of Jesus Christ? Is what I'm about to say or do going to advance the name of Jesus Christ? You could also ask that in a negative sense. Is what I'm about to do or say going to lead people away from Jesus Christ? Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I realize today we're not going to talk about politics. Just for a second. If I drew a line in the room and all these folks that come here on a Sunday, I realize that if I lined you all up, there'd be some on both sides of whatever party you want to call, okay? But do I know what you are before you're a Republican, before you're a Democrat, before you're an American? You know what you are? You're a child of God. Which means before you and I are any of those, we are peacemakers. This is a challenge in 2018 because everywhere we look and watch and view, it's all about who can talk the loudest, the longest. That's who wins. Whoever's just talking at the end, they win. But I would challenge, as I challenge myself this week, blessed are the peacemakers, those who desire to have conversations. I'm not calling for everybody to put down their thoughts and their biblical principles and leave those aside. What I'm calling you to, and I believe Scripture outside of this passage as well, is calling you, even in the midst of those, to be peacemakers. This is a hard moment and don't think that oh man but Jesus didn't understand the political stuff that was going on in 2018 oh yes he did because in this passage there were people called Romans and there were people called Jews and they did not like each other at all and one was trying to impose the will upon the other and one was just hoping that somebody would come along and save them and the other one was just going to rape everything they could from those people as long as they could and there was tension in this culture that he's preaching to he is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. But hear the other part of this. For they shall be called sons of God. I don't believe you become a child of God because you're a peacemaker, but you are a peacemaker because you are a child of God. Children exemplify their parents. Children exemplify the people that they hang around, don't they? And they say things that they've learned from you and from me. Good and bad. One of the greatest compliments that came my way uh, this summer um, and, and earlier in the spring is almost on identical days, both of my sons came home from their jobs and in different conversations they said, man, my boss told me I was a really hard worker. 
Yeah, dude. Right? Why? I'm hoping in that moment, children are like their parents. When, when my oldest will call from college and say she studied really hard and worked super hard on a paper and did really great on a final and really gave it her all, she looks just like her mother in that moment, praise God. Looks just like her mother. Several weeks ago, actually it's been months ago, we were at someone's house for a Christmas party and someone pulled me aside and, and most of you know we've adopted our youngest child, Sonia. And uh, from Rwanda, a little tiny country in Africa, and uh, we don't even think about that anymore. It's just who we are. And uh, she, said, she said to me at this Christmas party, she said, Sonia was helping me put some things away uh, on a Wednesday night. It was helping me carry something. And I asked her a question. She turned around, and she gave me the most Michael Bowers look I've ever seen. <laughs> I never asked if it was a good look or a bad look. But she learned it. For me, because she's my child. We learn the attributes that Jesus lived for us, and we claim through Jesus salvation. And we must also then, therefore, follow his characteristics. And he was a peacemaker. It doesn't mean he didn't have hard conversations and at moments exemplify righteous anger in some of those moments, but completely under control. Will what I'm about to say or do or post or write about, will it advance the name of Jesus? Peacemaking is all over the pages of Scripture for us to grow in, to learn, to become, to evidence But it requires us, these three that we've just walked through, mercy, purity, peacemaking, it requires us, if we're going to live them out, to live with our eyes up and our ears on and our hearts open. We can't dispense mercy if we're not involved in the lives of the people around us. We can't enter into their mourning and their grieving if we don't know what's taking place. We cannot, I cannot, carry out these promises and these words from Jesus in a bubble. Now verse 10 through 12. If, if nothing from the first nine verses has got your attention, oh, verse 10 through 12 are. And we're going to look at them just for a few moments together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are going to be misunderstood, taken advantage of, spoken of falsely, When you live a life of peace and purity, mercy, brokenness, and meekness. It's going to happen. What's not in scripture, there's never a promise in God's word that his children were going to be accepted and loved and praised in every culture of every history of all mankind. It's not there. 
And again, I think this passage really leaps off the page in 2018 because we would say, well, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Yeah, boy, I've read all about those folks. <laughs> those folks. I've read all about those missionaries. I've read all about those people from the history of Scripture. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of falsehood on, your, on his account. Blessed are you when people speak evil about you. You just see, you're going, man, let's go back to peacemaking. I like that one a lot better, Pastor. Let's go back to mourning and merciful. That, that, that's a lot more promising. That sounds a lot more, let me say it this way, that sounds a lot more American. That fits in our bubble that we live in. In the world that we live in, in 2018, in this incredible country that we live in, by and large, you and I are not persecuted for our faith. Newsflash, there's nothing in Scripture that promises you that you will not be. In fact, Jesus is saying, fortunate are you. Fortunate are you. I, I worked and struggled and prayed and wrestled. Um, they didn't even get my notes for the sermon until about 8 o'clock this morning. <laughs> and these verses are why. Because these verses don't feel good, do they? If you are persecuted, mocked, or ridiculed for following Jesus, I guarantee you, you won't be the first person and you won't be the last. I was reminded as I was reading through these verses, I had to grab one of my favorite books that I've read in the last 10 years called The Insanity of God, written by a guy by the name of Nick Ripkin. And what he does in this book is he recounts persecution and harassment that have happened to believers in this lifetime, not from 2,000 years ago. And one of the things that he stated in there, he said, I was captivated by the thought, what if persecution is the normal expected situation for a believer? And what if persecution is, in fact, soil in which faith can grow? Could it be that the revival that many of you are praying for in our country will not take place? Not if the preaching gets better or if the worship gets greater or the size of the buildings get larger. What if, in order for that to move forward, it's rooted in persecution? That doesn't fit. I told you when we started this series that there's going to be something when you walk through the Sermon on the Mount that's not going to sit well. This is one of those areas for us. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. There may come a day very soon when, rare, when persecution will not be the rarity, but the norm. Will we continue to pursue Jesus and his kingdom that he's promised us in those moments? There may be a day in our lifetime as a church where persecution shuts down the buildings, 
turns off the air and makes it impossible to congregate in a place that we live in and know. There may be a day where you walk into work, and some of you have already experienced this, where vile things are said about you because you're a believer. You're fortunate. You're fortunate, why? Because you're identifying with Jesus. You're not fortunate because it feels good. You're not fortunate because it fits. You're fortunate because you're identifying that your main concern is to be pure in heart in your relationship to the Lord. How we will respond in those times helps us to see the greater picture of the death and the life and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Again, a quote from Nick Ripkin. It's, it's a long one. I'll unpack it when we finish. We can grasp the full meaning of the resurrection. We first have to witness or experience crucifixion. If we spend our lives so afraid of suffering, so averse to sacrifice that we avoid the risk of persecution or, or crucifixion, then we might never discover the true wonder, joy, and power of the resurrection. Do, do, you, do you grab that? I had to read that about a dozen times when I was preparing. We love to celebrate the resurrected Savior, right? Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah, right? Easter, we've got it in Christ alone. We lift up that name. But in order, what he's saying, in order for us to fully grasp the beauty of the resurrection, we cannot forget that there was a crucifixion. And for us to experience the glories of the kingdom of God, it may be very real that we have to go through persecution to understand the glorious hope we have in Jesus. We're no amens to that. I'm a little worried, a little nervous. Actually, I'm not, because it's not surprising, because this is hard. We say, man, you want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? Don't leave off the crucifixion. If you want to be a child of the resurrected Savior, you're also the child of a crucified Savior. You want to experience the hope and the peace and the joy that comes in the fullness of relationship with Jesus? Then you may very well have to suffer. You will most likely have people say things about you that are false and evil on the account of you following Jesus. This is difficult teaching. This is teaching that left the people astonished and in awe as Jesus taught with authority. These are the words from the hill. They do not leave us untouched. We're left examining our relationship, our response, our character, our actions. And they lead us to become people who will live our lives with our eyes up, our ears turned on, and our hearts open. Let's pray. God, I pray that our eyes are up and our ears are on this morning simply to your words. Not even to mine. God, I pray if there's someone that's struggling through something that I've said, that they would just ignore that and just read your word. Just, just focus on those words alone. And to know and to respond and believe that there are difficult days 
head. It doesn't mean we're not doing something right. It may mean that we're exactly where you've called us to. God, we are peacemakers. Not because it's easy, but because it's a gift that you've placed upon us. We're merciful. Not because it's natural, because it's supernatural through our relationship to Jesus. God, I pray that in this room, as we do every week, and I know our folks that are here often hear this and know this, but God, I pray that there is a recognition, a realization, God, for someone in this room to realize in this place, in this room this morning, that they need to commit their lives to Jesus. That while this teaching is hard, it also has the promises of being a child of God, a promise of being in the kingdom of heaven, a promise of eternal hope. So God, let us not neglect that. Let us rest in that. God, thank you for these words from the hill. May we not breeze through them, skip over them, but instead allow them to transform our lives. God, and help us as we leave this place, as we run our errands and eat our lunches and make our visits and spend time, God, that we would do so with our eyes truly looking for moments and ears on to listen for moments to exhibit mercy and mourning and grieving and for our hearts to be open to the brokenness of those around us. God, we're only dispensing what we've already experienced. God, be with us in our time of response this morning. As we come just exactly how we are, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?